Today on Turbo Talks, Andri Frischknecht of Scott Schramm MTB Racing for Stage 1 of the Garmin Never Stop series. Welcome to a new special edition of the Turbo Talks podcast. My name is Rob Pau and you are listening to the first of four podcasts to accompany you on your Garmin Never Stop series on Zwift. Because this December, Garmin is putting on the ultimate choose-your-own-adventure experience on the virtual routes less traveled. Whether it is riding or running or a shorter or longer course, the four stages have it all. Including that fresh new Garmin Tech's in-game kit that is waiting for you if you complete any event. Plus, if you complete the long-distance event of each stage, you are in it to win some cool Garmin and Tech's prizes. Each of the four long rides that you finish will give you an entry into the draw to win a Tex Neo 2T. And each long run completed is an entry to win a Garmin 4Wonder 945 Tri-Bundle. And to make it all even better, for every stage we have a special guest on this TurboTalks podcast for your in-ride entertainment. So, time to jump on your Tex and start turning those pedals over. Now, the chances are that if you are listening to this, you have already just started stage one of the Garmin Never Stop Tour. And if you are riding the shorter stage on Suki's Playground, your ride leader might actually be the guest on this podcast. Let's welcome him on the show and hear about his adventures on the bike. It is André Friesknecht of Scott Schramm MTB Racing. Welcome, André. How are you? Hello, everyone. Good, good. Thank you. Some snow today, this morning for me. I'd say snow is Switzerland, a perfect day for an indoor ride. Yeah, looks like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you've, got a, you've got a ride on your Tex Neo on the program? Yeah, I think uh, I, I will go to uh, the rollers uh, this, this afternoon. Uh, in the morning, I go outside and do uh, some cyclocross uh, training. And then in the afternoon, I go... Uh, on my uh, tax rollers and uh, yeah just an easy spin but for sure i'm not going outside uh, in the afternoon <laughs> uh yeah you already mentioned going out on your cyclocross bike because you're a professional mountain bike racer but you also ride your uh, your uh, cyclocross bike your road bike uh, you ride dirt bikes in your spare time and you still have the time to then jump on the rollers as well uh, how do you incorporate that into your training um, you know, I always uh, make a plan or check out how the weather is. So if it makes more sense uh, to uh, go on the rollers, because uh, if it's really cold and raining outside, uh, it's not really healthy to, to train outside and you have not so many benefits of doing that. And then I like to go on the roller just to keep myself warm. And you can actually also do... Um, a more ef- efficient workout because uh, you when you have less time you can uh, ride more for example if you have only one hour of time you can uh, ride one hour on the rollers but for riding outside you need to get dressed uh, that's uh, consuming a lot of time and then as well uh, you cannot always pedal outside you have to stop pedaling while Sometimes you're descending or something. So it's much more efficient to uh, train on the rollers, especially if you don't have so so much time. And who is your coach? Who's, who's putting like the sessions on your program? 
Um, my coach is uh, Martin Guion. He's also the coach from the juniors Swiss national team. So most of the time uh, when there is like uh, Europeans or Worlds and or when the national team is there, he is also coming. So uh, that's quite good because we can plan the race and we can have a chat before uh, how how we prepare for it. And yeah, I'm working with him since a year now and uh, it has been really good so far. All right, sounds good. Uh, now, a lot of people uh, might recognize your surname, actually, because they think Friesknecht might sound familiar. Uh, and yes, it does, because your father was Thomas Friesknecht, uh, former uh, mountain bike world champion in 1996, mountain bike uh, marathon world champion uh, twice. And also your grandfather uh, was, was a cyclist as well. A cycling mad family that you grew up in. Yeah, for sure. I grew up uh, in that family and I actually I don't know something else. So when I was a small kid, I, I was uh, uh, always at the races playing in the mud. Uh, almost every weekend and yeah my dad for sure he was uh, he was doing also cyclocross in in the winter I'm more uh, focusing now on mountain bike and my grandfather he uh, he was only focusing uh, on cyclocross because it was really big uh, at that time he also did some road but uh, the main thing back then was for sure was cyclocross. So, so how do all those different uh, disciplines in a family and what you've been riding as well when you were younger, how does that all benefit you now riding mountain bike? Yeah, you know, there is actually a lot of, of stuff like when you, you, don't, uh, you don't know it and so someone tells you then it's obvious, but uh, you have to make these mistakes first, but I'm like used to everything. So I, I, for me, it's normal uh, that, you know, a few things that for me uh, came naturally. It's not like uh, that I had to figure out uh, a lot myself because my grandfather had done it already and my dad for sure. But at the end, uh, it's all the same. You still have to uh, turn the pedals, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or as we say, a garment just never stops cycling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so when did you know that, when did you, what was the moment that you realized, okay, I just want to focus on, on mountain bike racing and become a professional in that? Um, you know, when I was a um, junior, I still did both. I did uh, mountain bike and cyclocross also in the winter, also World Cups. And then I had to decide because I finished my apprenticeship as a carpenter. So that uh, was finished. And then I came into under 23. And, you know, then it's getting more serious. Uh, way, it's a bigger step from juniors to under 23. And then I had to focus on something. And uh, in Switzerland, the, you get support from the government, from the military, actually, to uh, do sports that are Olympic. And cyclocross is not is not Olympic. So uh, I focus more on mountain biking and also the way how how the season uh, has to be planned uh, is very difficult when you do two sports. 
um, it's possible. You, you can do it for sure. Like Mathieu and some other guys uh, also do do both disciplines. But it's really hectic uh, because you almost have no recovery between. Uh, you're always on the, uh, yeah, traveling all the time. So it's easier to focus on something and also more, you know, you can prepare better because either you do something 100% or you don't do it. And for me, that was the decision uh, uh, to go for, uh, for mountain bike. And you mentioned that it was supported by the Swiss Federation because it's an Olympic sport as well. Was that for you growing up then a dream, going to the Olympics? Uh, for sure, it still is. It's uh, the biggest goal uh, or achievement for an athlete, I would say. And that's also for me, uh, it's the case. Uh, in Switzerland, if you can go uh, to Olympics as a mountain biker, you also have the chance to win the medal. So it's quite... Uh, it's quite a big achievement if you can go to to Olympics as a Swiss rider. So working hard for it. I mean, Paris, uh, it's just around the corner. And let's see what what we can do there. Yeah, it's, it's only two and a half years away. Uh, you mentioned the Olympics. Obviously, one of your teammates, a lot of experience, uh, Nino Schuter, uh, a competitor in, in that regard. Um, so how, how was it for you making that that prestigious Scots Ram? Uh, MTB racing team because people maybe think like oh Friesknecht um, he is probably naturally gifted etc but how hard was it for you to get to this stage um, you know it's it was like I was like growing slowly into into my my spot I would say um, at the beginning when I was uh, you know a kid uh, then my dad he wanted me to work uh, for everything and that was actually uh, really good. I was I'm really thankful for that. He, for example, gave me shit bikes to compete uh, against other guys. Like I had still uh, aluminium frame and stuff and the other guys al already had carbon and uh, <laughs> like stuff like this. And as a kid, you, you also want the stuff that the other guys have, you know, you, it's really material, I would say. And I really had to work for it. Um, you know, when I did a good race, I maybe get new handlebars and then the next race I did good, I get new pedals and so on and so on. So I get from time to time, I get a better bike. And at the end I had also a good bike. Obviously now uh, there is no difference uh between the teams really everybody has good uh, good material but you know this learned me uh to work hard for it and at that time when i uh, came into juniors i was also uh you know i was winning world cup so i was one of the best uh junior uh, uh riders and then i got the spot in in the team and i uh, i'm still on on there because uh you know, I earned my spot uh, because, you know, 2019, I was uh, ninth uh, at Worlds and third best Swiss rider. And, you know, that's uh, for, uh, for a team that is based in Switzerland. You want to have the fastest Swiss riders uh, as well. And, yeah, I just like, uh, I just like to be in the team. It's like a family for me. And I would say that the biggest 
you know, the biggest difference from a pro team to like an amateur team is that you have all the support, not from the material side, because you can go in a shop and buy the same bike I have, uh, but from the supporting side, like the physio, the mechanics, you don't have to book flights, you don't have to book hotel, you don't have to check where I can get dinner and all that is planned. So you have to, you can focus on yourself, on the race, and really do stuff that are beneficial for for uh, high performance on race day yeah it, it sounds a bit like when you described when you were younger that uh, it's almost like a people who are now riding on swift see the comparison and think like oh when i get so many uh, drop points that i can actually upgrade my bike etc and you were like if i had a good result i might get like new handlebars or pedals but well, is there been a time mm-hmm. that you have been like really frustrated uh maybe just with the situation or maybe just angry at your dad that you thought like you maybe lost a race because you had lesser material than your competitors or um yeah that was also a few times uh, the case because i had the frame that was really old and the rear uh, axle was not holding really strong into the frame so i lost some sometimes i lost my rear wheel and that also happened uh, in a few races, and for sure I lost. <laughs> but you know, when you're that small, you you're angry about it, but it actually means nothing. I mean, it's a kids' race, and uh, yeah, it's worth. Then it's worth nothing. I mean, it's just experience, I would say. Yeah, and obviously now you've got you've got all that best equipment, and, and of the equipment that you have, you're also using uh, obviously the Garmin and Tex products. We already mentioned the Tex Neo 2T. Uh, you've also got like the the Garmin bike computer. I think you got the the A30. Um, yes. so how do you use that in in training? That A30. Um, you know, I actually I have two. Because when I forget to charge one, I take, just take the other one. <laughs> and then I have my, uh, you know, my data fields. Uh, so I'm using all um, the same Garmin, the 830 for riding on the road, riding on rollers, mountain bike, everything. And then I switch from the, from example, mountain biking to road or cyclocross. And then I have a specific data field for uh, what is interesting for me, you know. On the road bike, for example, I have uh, I wanted to see uh, average speed and uh, total distance uh, and stuff like this. And this I don't want to see on the mountain bike. It is more related to uh, to um, wattage and heart rate and stuff like this. But it's like pre a presetting I did on my Garmin, so I have it really easy. I can switch uh, what bike I ride. So I directly have a, a specific uh, uh, specific data fields. And and in a mountain bike with in a race, do you then still sometimes like have time to to actually sneak peek at your Garmin at the, no. like what what is your riding or is it just at the end you just upload the data and then you look at it? Yeah, it's uh, if there is a really tactical race, then uh, maybe when the speed uh, slows down. Then uh, you you can uh, you can check, but most of the time you can't you can't really check. And then uh, uh, there is marathon racing where I uh, most of the time I need it to check because then because I have to see when I eat, and uh, then I really have to uh, yeah check what uh, uh, you you know the wattage so I don't go too fast. 
uh, when you have long climbs, you can check this because it's quite, you know, when you have a one hour climb, you have a lot of time to check it. But uh, in, a, in a cross country race, there is so, so much going on. You don't have time to do it. Especially now in the short races, I imagine. Yeah, there anyway, no time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and one of the things that I actually saw you use recently as well, because you had the, like your core body temperature displayed on your Garmin as well. How did you how did you use that, and what was that for in training? Um, that's actually something I used to prepare for uh, European Games because there uh, it, uh, it was really hot. So I'm trying to rise my body temperature to thirty eight and a half degrees and then uh, stay there. So it means I'm not checking the wattage, I'm not checking the heart rate. I just uh, check the, the body temperature that it stays uh, uh, at this level. And you know, that helps to, to adapt for the heat. So the body makes, makes adaptions to, to this heat and it's then easier to perform at really uh, humid and hot uh, uh, conditions. So is that uh, is that something that uh, people who are riding now on Swift and maybe go up that little climb in Sugi's playground might might experience as well? That they're getting just that heat and that core body temperature going up. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, it's especially on the rollers where you don't have wind, and if you don't have a fan, uh, your body temperature will rise uh, to a certain point. And then it's not going to rise anymore. And at this point, you will lose power. So if you have ever uh, experienced that going like for a ride one hour and after 40 minutes, you're just cooked and you cannot push uh, anymore. That's exactly the point, uh, you know, where normally your body uh, temperature is too high. You're full sweating. Uh, I mean, it's most of the time it has nothing to do with the, uh, uh, the carbohydrates because one hour uh, everybody can do without eating and stuff so uh, most of the time it's related to the body temperature so you have too hot and your system needs all the energy to pull the body and cannot uh, uh, transition it to create power on on the on the pedals and how, how do you then adjust your fueling or hydration strategy to it because you mentioned like you also check your garment like in the longer races for when you need to fuel did you set like alerts for it or uh yeah for uh, <clears throat> for for eating i have alerts uh, like every 20 minutes when there is like stages three or four hours for sure i'm, I'm doing this uh to just remind me but sometimes it's not possible you know you're you're in a downhill and then you have the the, uh, the alarm and you need to eat you have no, you cannot take a hand off the handlebar, so you need to eat at the next uh, possible uh, spot, you know, and uh, that's quite, you know, sometimes difficult to actually manage to eat at, 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 after 20 minutes all the time. So you have to plan for before you go into a downhill, you just have to take a quick uh, bite from a, from a bar or gel and then you can eat that in the downhill and yeah try to recover a bit it, was that something that you really had to learn when you when you just came through in the pro ranks to learn how to eat on a bike and just to remind yourself and to maybe sometimes even force yourself because i can imagine when it's really hot and humid if you got those conditions you don't really feel like you want to eat 
Yeah, that's uh, for sure really something really that uh, that that is important that you eat right away from the start. You know, if you have three hours uh, uh, racing, you cannot just eat after two hours because you start to get uh, hungry. Uh, especially if it's um, a, a stage race, you also have to have the energy for the next day. So you need to be fueling all the time. Also, after 20 minutes, uh, 7.20 in the morning, you have to eat the first bar or the half of a bar just to make sure you have enough energy because at the end of the race, it gets more and more difficult to eat something. You know, I tend to eat at the beginning uh, more like hard stuff like bars or like, uh, yeah, something that you really have to chew. And after, when it, uh, in the afternoon, when the race normally finishes really hot and uh, you're exhausted, so uh, then I prefer to take uh, gels because it's easier uh, to, uh, to swallow and really quick energy. And if you're like riding a finale in, uh, in a race, you, you certainly don't have time to eat the bar and because you have to stop breathing and then you have to breathe through your nose and chew and it's a bit a mess sometimes. So you just want to have something quick and then, yeah, you're ready to go. Do, do you have a memory of a race where you kind of like forgot to eat and you found out the hard way that you had like a big hunger knock that you bonked and then it was all over? Um... Yeah, no, in the race, not in the race, because uh, there I always have a, a strategy. Then it's more, uh, you know, the energy levels that are going down because you went too fast at the start. But uh, for sure, I had this a few times in training, you know, when you're after the off season, when you start riding and you've planned a loop, you have done in the season think, yeah, it's, it's an easy loop, I can do it, maybe three hours, and then after two and a half hours, you, <laughs> you start looking at all the, all the paper, uh, papers next to the road, uh, if there is something in the, in the Snickers bar, or if there is maybe <laughs> someone left something in the bottle, because you start getting uh, really hungry. <laughs> and then I can imagine, it, it isn't a call, especially on those trails, you can't really just make a call like a road cyclist, maybe you can like, oh, please come pick me up. And probably your dad would want you to find out the hard way anyway. If I, if no, I know, <laughs> I would never do that. You know, it's, I would never call someone to pick me <laughs> because it's my fault. And uh, it's really uh, <laughs> embracing when uh, you have a moment like this and you just have to fight, uh, fight through it. But you know, you can feel when you start getting hungry, then just you have to drop the pace and go slower till so you can still manage to make it home. Maybe not in training speed, but make it home. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that's probably one of the things that, uh, that you've learned and that you found out uh, as, as you went. Is there something that maybe uh, your teammate, like a Nino Schurter, so experienced and, and a legend in the motorbike scene, is there something specific that you learned from them, from him? Or, is that, or did you already learn everything from your dad, what you needed to learn, you think? No, for sure. I le learned uh, also a lot from Nino because... Um, you know, the sport has uh, changed a bit, you know, the distances were getting shorter uh, compared to when my dad raced. So um, I for sure learned a lot uh, from Nino, you know, how to prepare for the race, especially recovery. 
you know, my dad, he was not doing a lot of recovery and stretching and stuff. Uh, this he never did. Maybe massage he did. But uh, Nino is really focusing also on, on recovery. So I learned a lot from him uh, in, this, in this way. And also like mentally how to prepare for the race. Uh, he's, he's a master of it. So even if you do it half, half uh, that good, like Nino, you you still do pretty good. <laughs> and looking back, uh, looking back at last season, um, I think you've you've had some bad luck during the season. Um, but what's the thing that you took away from it from the season? What did you learn most about the season? Um, you know, to always uh, keep trying because I had some races where I had really good shape. And unfortunately, I had mechanicals. For example, Nova Mesto, I broke my chain just five meters after the start, and then it was all over. And you, you know that uh, when something happens today, it's not going to be a good result. But you can still try and leave everything out there and give it your all to, uh, to get more experience. You know, I had to pass like 60 riders. so. You learn uh, to pass some riders. That's uh, maybe something positive for the next races. But, uh, you know, mentally you have to still, like, kind of want to give everything you have. Not uh, just say, okay, now it's over, I go uh, go home now. Because that's also really shitty feeling, I would say, because you're traveling for a few, sometimes a few days to, to go somewhere and then prepare for the race. It can take maybe it can take uh, one or two weeks prior to only prepare for one race, and then in the race it, it's over after the start. So you you want to drop out and go back home without showing anything. And that's for me, it's like really a, a shitty feeling when you drive back in the car after the race and you have not tried everything you could, you know. And is that one of your strengths, you reckon, that, that mental strength compared to others? Um, I don't know, because I don't know what uh, the others' mental strengths are. <laughs> Maybe for, for, it is, no. but uh, no, my strength, I think, is more uh, uh, technical stuff, like wet uh, routes and stuff like this, and downhills, for sure. Uh that's that are my strength like uh you know spike skills riding descending that's that's something i think i'm pretty good at but then in those muddy conditions there is a chance obviously if a matthew van der Poel or tom pitcock is then on the starting line as well they probably don't mind it either how do you look at those guys like that or those two like coming into the mountain bike scene and just yeah, immediately being being at the top of the level of being so good. How do you? How is that being perceived within the within the field? Um, you know this. I mean, uh, Mathieu and Tom Pitcock, they are uh, really big talents. So they could probably do anything they want on the bike. They could also ride track. They they could do anything because they have the feeling for the bike that. Uh, that is really hard to explain this, but they can sit on a bike and exactly feel how, how the bike is reacting. If this is on the road, if this is on the mountain bike, if, 
uh, cyclocross, you know, they have they have this feeling. That's the first thing. And then these guys, they have a huge uh, engine, like really huge, like roadies, top of the roadies. And this combination makes them so fast. You know, they can uh, they can follow normally uh, the, the the front front of a race with ease, and then still have the the, the bike skills to pull to pull it off. But is is it sometimes something that you can enjoy as well when you see those guys race, or you're just looking at it like ah oh, those those guys show up again? <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure it's good for the sport because uh, you know it's like uh, everybody is watching when Tom Pitcock is racing a World Cup or Matthew. They all the fans from him they are watching uh, mountain bike as well, and it's. It's good for the sport to get more uh, attraction from other people. And, you know, it's, it's not like that they always win. They show up sometimes and they they don't win. You know, it's it's not like Mathieu had some really good races, but it's not like he's coming and just dominates everything. There is tracks he struggles with. And... Uh, that's also quite good because then you know the guys see uh, why did he not win? Maybe these mountain bikers are not so slow. So yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's something you can uh, you can compare then uh, with other sports. But obviously the opposite way. I mean not many many mountain bikers would be fast on the road. I think. Yeah, if you and if you look for yourself, uh, we already talked about it a bit like last season. If you look ahead for next season, what are your main goals for twenty twenty two? My main goals are for sure to like manage to get consistent top ten results in the World Cup, and then uh, the second one is uh, to be first in the short race. You know, I was uh, always lacking a bit of speed in these short races. So I had a bad starting position on the Sunday race. You know, short race is always uh, Friday evening, a race 20 minutes, like a qualifying. And if you win there, you can start uh, first as first on Sunday. So it's kind of a qualifying race. And if you do the uh, good there, you all already know you're in good shape and you have a good uh, starting position. So I have to work on this. Uh, I want to get better in the short race, and that's uh, that's my goal. And, and is there a certain plan now in winter, now during the off season, to to achieve those goals? Are you work? How do you work towards them? Um, yeah, of course. Um, there, we will focus more on like short intervals. So that means thirty seconds, one minute, two minutes, um, with really short breaks. So you you do, uh, try to do a 30 second sprint then you have 30 second break 30 second sprint 30 second break like 10 times and then do it again and again just to um, simulate actually a short race or the feeling from not being recovered and still having to sprint and go again and go again and go again that's that's what uh, the short race is about and maintaining a really high speed during during the whole the whole race so so it sounds like you've got a, a tough and a hard winter ahead of you 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, you know, it's not like that I'm doing this every day. Uh, you still have yeah. to prepare uh, first the base. So that means a lot of hours, base miles to get the bigger engine, uh, train, train uh, a big volume. And then after that, coming down before, before uh, you know, the cross-country race is coming down with the volume and starting to get into those intervals and then, you know, like fine-tune the, the engine you created over the winter. It's a bit like this, that, uh, um, you know, just before the race, uh, you give it a little bit more push than with these shorter intervals. For sure, I'm doing it now uh, from the beginning but not uh, that intense that I will be doing in like February, March, I would yeah. say. And, and then eventually, what, what is the dream in mountain biking? You think my dream? Yeah. Uh, yeah, my dream for sure is to go uh, to Olympics and uh, you, uh, do it for a few more years so I can, can reach my goals. All right. Awesome. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, I want to thank you already for your time. And in the meantime, for people who are just still riding around Suki's Playground or the Dust in the Wind course, uh, I hope you enjoyed this. And in case you haven't finished the stage yet, you know what to do. Just never stop cycling. The Garmin Never Stop series is on from free till 19 December. And you've got four days to find the time to complete each stage with the short ride available every two hours on Swift. And the long ride is available to ride every six hours on Swift. And remember, each completed long stage is an entry into the draw for a great prize. So either to win that Tex Neo 2T, uh, the one that Andre has as well, and if you complete a long ride, or it is the Garmin 945 Tri Bundle if you complete a long run. Um, with that much snow and winter, maybe you've got some time to, to jump on some more rides than the one that you're leading? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I hope... Uh... Everybody can join me on uh, on the 3rd of December for my ride and uh, good luck with winning the Garmin products. Uh, see you see you on Swift at least. <laughs> all right, perfect. Like thanks again for for joining us Andre. I uh, wish you all the best for next season. Uh, already also a happy holiday season that's coming up in a few weeks time and then on towards those uh, big goals and we love to see you in those uh, top 10s in the World Cups in 2022. Thanks a lot. Stay safe. All right, and thank you all for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this chat with Andre, make sure you look for the TurboTox podcast on your favorite podcast channel. And just listen back to one of the many other episodes that we already had with cycling greats like Andre's teammate, Nino Schuter, or maybe even Anna van der Breggen, Tom Dumoulin, or Alberto Contador, and many, many more. Uh, as always, make sure you tell a friend about the TurboTox podcast and subscribe, share, like, and leave a rating and a review on iTunes. This was Rob Bau with André Frischknecht of Scott Schramm MTB Racing for the first stage of the Garmin Never Stop series. Stay tuned for the next Turbo Talks.